Welcome to Uptown Chats, a podcast where we share stories about environmental justice by and for everyday people. I'm your co-host, Lonnie. And I'm your other co-host, Jaren. And today, we're going to pick up where we left off a couple weeks ago by talking about rats. That's right. Uh, last time, we kept it pretty high level, really trying to answer the question, why are rats an environmental justice issue? But today, we're getting into the details to understand what Sit New York City is doing in the war on rats. Uh, with the help from our guest, City Council Member Shauna Breyu, who is the newly appointed chair of the Committee on Waste and Sanitation. Perfect. But before we get into that, Jaron, do you mind telling us what We Act's mission? I sure can. We Act's mission is to build healthy communities by ensuring that people of color and or low-income residents participate meaningfully in the creation of sound and fair environmental health and protection policies and practices. Perfect. Thank you. So... Last episode, we got a we got some quite a bit of feedback and some interest in a very particular aspect on the war on rats, and it is rat contraceptives. That's right. I was so unexpected. Every person I talked to was like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." The episode was really cool, but I need to know more about rat contraceptives. What is that? And you know what? I kind of get it. It is a weird thing to hear because when you hear those two words together, I think the first image I have is a rat like taking birth control, like timed every day. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> like on their own. Yeah. Luckily, you know, people asked us this. That meant that we got to do even more research and learn probably more than I thought I would ever need to know about rat contraceptives. So I figure maybe we can do a quick stroll through the history that is rat contraceptives, provide some background, and maybe you talk a little bit about what the city is doing now with that. How does that fit into their whole rat mitigation plan, all that stuff? Absolutely. Before Sounds we good. get into the interview, right? Yes. Cool. So I did some digging this morning, actually, and found this really interesting article from 2017, and it was from the University of Arizona. And it talks about you know around this this time uh, in 2017 when the New York City Department of Health started working with an Arizona-based company to try to come up with solutions to deal with rat infestations. Obviously, it's something that impacts not just New York City, but cities all over the country, all over the world. And so, New York City Department of Health somehow got in contact with with this Arizona-based company, and that company produced something called Contrapest. What a name, wow. right? Contrapest. Why didn't they give it like a one of those cool names for that they have for birth control? Oh geez. Like or, Skyla. <laughs> oh, or like any of yeah, any of the things that you see on uh, pharmaceutical ads. They they got cool names. They do. Anyway, so this chemical called Contrapest, uh, essentially they they developed it as a fertility control product. And it stemmed out of some research from the University of Arizona. It's really interesting. They were looking at different different chemicals, their impact on rats, and this chemical came out. And it was officially licensed to this company back in 2005. And the way that it works, it uses a specific chemical. It's a mouthful. I don't even know if we want to try to say this. Do you want to try it? Okay, I can do it. 4-vinylcyclinehexene-dipoxide. That was close. It's a mouthful. Or VCD for sure. I'm thinking that's that's maybe what I'm going to go with, VCD. And essentially, it works by destroying female rats, ovarian follicles in their most immature form. So in, in a way that basically is not going to 
negatively impact the rats essentially but really just kind of working into the cycle that female rats already have and uh, again the burden is placed on females yes always <laughs> uh, but essentially you know it's destroying the ovarian follicles as part of the natural process and it is a process that occurs over time but essentially this chemical vcd is accelerating that process so that the female rats are becoming infertile essentially and it actually works on male rats as well it impairs sperm production in male uh, rats there but we go. <laughs> yeah so it's cutting across the board all, all rats will be affected by it but i think it's primarily targeting female rats and fortunately you know obviously when you think about chemicals we're like okay is this is this something we should be worried about is this a chemical that's mm-hmm. going to impact us as humans or but, the other thing other yes. rodents that we seem to like like yes. the chipmunks and the squirrels yes maybe it'll knock out those pigeons too <laughs> unpopular opinion maybe someone's gonna be like people might love some pigeons don't mess up my pigeons but according to research from the university of arizona university of arizona and other folks this product is considered non-toxic to humans and other animals it's used in low concentrations it has a short half-life essentially it gets broken down quickly and that means it reduces the risk to other target species, including humans. So that's that's good news. So yeah, that's people, super good. people are so yeah very concerned about their pets getting into some of these baits. Rightfully so. Uh, yeah. So it's targeting reproductive systems for rats, and it blows my mind. When I was doing this research. I also came across this fact that, and I don't know if I, I still haven't fully you know looked into this to know how accurate this is. But according to the article, four pairs of breeding rats. And their immediate offspring can produce up to 15 million new rats over the course of a year. Oh, my and God. I'm like, that is how we have this situation. If we can, like, slow down that process, then, it, you know, that can make an impact. But that's crazy to me. I need to fully fact check that. But, like, you know. the mental gymnastics my brain has to do to to get to that many rats just from, was it four mating pairs? Yes. Is, it, that's insane. Yes. This is, that's a huge, it's a great case for, yeah. <laughs> for we got contraceptive. It reminds me of when you're in like algebra and whatever grade you're in algebra and you're like first learn about exponential curves yes. and you're like, oh, yeah. wow, that's a, that's a big number. Yeah, that's a lot of rats. But anyway, so, you know, this chemical, this contrapest product, you know, you're, you might be wondering, okay, cool, that's how it works. But like, how do we actually give it to the rats? Do we like nurse them like a little baby and we drop, drop, drop? No, but essentially it's delivered through a, like a liquid bait system. It's essentially just a small box that gets placed in places where rats are known to eat and their uh, buffets, if you will. And they mix this VCD chemical stuff into a fatty and sweet mixture that apparently rats love. According to, you know, I was reading this article and they're like, rats love this stuff. They come back for it and they remember that it tastes good. And so they, they make sure to go back for more. That's how it gets built up in their system because they're like, I want that good stuff. So it's really interesting. I, f- <laughs> I find all of this fascinating and I can see why even when we were do- doing a little deeper dive into this, why people were so interested in learning about how this works. It's interesting because, you know, you, you think about this, you know, conceptually, it sounds great. You know, it's not killing the rats, uh, even though, you know, some people might be advocating for that, but it's doing it in a less, less violent way. But back in April, uh, according to a different article that I found, uh, the Bryant Park Corporation, uh, basically folks that are taking care of Bryant Park here in New York City, purchased two dozen of these contrapest bait stations for about three thousand dollars which is which really inexpensive now yeah that I think about right it. i was like okay not, maybe that's why this not a great solution but essentially they ran this pilot for about a month and a half in bryant park and they deemed it as unsuccessful and, and said that you know it wasn't meeting the needs that they needed for getting rid of rats and basically one well, of the pushbacks was 
from our very own rat star, Kathleen Carardi. And she said that one of the challenges with these rat contraceptives is that rats have to eat a lot of this chemical for it to build up in their system, for it to really be effective at, you know, impacting their fertility. And given that we live in a city that has a lot of trash, they have lots of other things to eat. And so as sweet and fatty and delicious as apparently it's supposed to be, I guess rats are busy feasting on garbage to be succumb to this specific treat. I mean, you got pizza rat out here stealing pizza slices. Yeah. So why would you go for this other thing that, yes. you know, why would you go into this little tiny box to like maybe find the, the, this thing? If you're like, I'm already next to this big bag of garbage. I'm, I'm good over here. Yeah. It's really interesting. So what I gathered, you know, fr- from all that, you know, I guess the verdict is still out on these rat contraceptives, at least here in New York city. But from, there's a really interesting Guardian article that kind of followed this this trail as well, looking at all the different strategies the city is using and essentially established that there's no one cure-all. It's a mix of different strategies that we need to employ. But the biggest thing is, what is the driver? What is the source of all these rats? And that's our lack of waste management, our poor waste management here in the city. So if we do all these things, including rat contraceptives, we're not going to solve it. What we really need to do is deal with our trash disposal issue. Yeah, like you said, if they have access to a buffet of food that is much better than than the contraceptive, then why would they choose, you know, why would they choose that? But if we kind of reduce that waste, the trash on the street, which we're going to talk about waste containerization and also other things like separating our food scraps and composting, you know, those methods to reduce their their food then they're going to be a little more desperate. Yeah, exactly. So I think that hopefully provided a good enough background on rat contraceptives. If you still have questions, make sure to check the show notes first because we're going to include all the articles that I found there. If you have even more questions after reading those, please make sure to to reach out because all the responses that we got, that's why we decided to look into this in the first place. So And we now know we all now know way more about rat contraceptives than I think we ever wanted to know or thought we were going to know. But I did something kind of fun. I used ChatGPT to kind of give me some slogans for this rat contraceptive. And they gave me five. Most of them are horrible. But this one's actually pretty good. And it says, contraceptives for rats, making sure they're not planning a baby shower in your basement. Love it. Thought that was a good one. Nailed it. Uh, so with that, uh, Lonnie, can you uh, help us transition away from this tangent that we've gone on uh, into our, our nice interview that we have lined up with Sean? Sure. Um, this episode, we're going to be joined by Councilmember Sean Abreu, and he's going to talk a lot more about some of these other elements on the war on rats with waste containerization and also a little bit about, about composting. Yeah. Enjoy. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Uptown Chats. It's really our first official episode for 2024, so we're excited that you get to be our first guest of this of this new year. So before we get too far in, do you mind giving us a quick introduction of yourself? Yes, thank you so much for having me, first of all. I'm Councilmember Sean Abreu, and I represent parts of the Upper West Side up to Washington Heights in District 7. Awesome. And... I feel like everyone kind of takes a different path into being an elected official or being a city council member. So can you give us a little bit of a background? Just walk us through what your path was into politics and and more specifically into your role that you're in now. Yeah. So I grew up in Washington Heights uh, and the Upper West Side. 
I, for the first nine years of my life, I lived on 161st and Riverside, uh, between Riverside and, and, and for Washington Avenue. I'm the son of immigrants. So in many ways, what propelled my run for office is f- being a victim to seeing how government doesn't work for people. I was evicted when I was nine years old. My family was, they were both out of jobs. And, you know, I had to take shelter with, with very kind neighbors. I was held back in the fourth grade as a result, was struggling in school, but I was able to bounce back because of systems that do work. I've also seen government work for people. I was able to graduate from schools like Columbia and Tulane Law School because of exceptional teachers getting me back on track because of investments in after-school programs that made a difference for me. When I was held back in the fourth grade, that's what I needed. I needed government intervention. And when you find after-school programs, that's government interventions. I was able to become a tenant lawyer after I graduated from Tulane Law School to help families like my own. Uh, the same families like my own that were evicted when I was a kid. And one can only imagine what if right to counsel existed in the year that I was evicted. Right to counsel was a landmark legislation passed by Mark Levine that gives everyone 200% above the federal poverty line the right to a lawyer if they're facing an eviction. And that's just another example when government works for people. Right to counsel made a difference in keeping people in their homes. And it's something that I take very seriously in the city council, making sure that every family facing eviction, low-income families facing eviction, get access to a lawyer. And what drives me, what propelled me to run for office, is to have more examples where government works for people. And I think that if we make government work for people, we can lift families out of poverty and we can give them a fighting chance. Could you elaborate and just tell us a little bit more about that experience, you know, getting a little bit more of a snapshot of, of some of the different things that you were working on during that time, kind of like right before you stepped into this role as an elected official, just what were some of the most common things that you noticed that people were dealing with around the issue of eviction? The biggest driver of evictions in housing court is just the increasing cost of living. Mm-hmm. Almost, I would say, 80% of the cases are non-payment proceedings Mm -hmm. where tenants end up in housing court because they fell behind on their rent. And it just speaks to the need of having strong job opportunities, the need to regulate rents so that they don't get to a point where it becomes too unaffordable for Mm -hmm. families in need, especially working class families. But... Being in housing court every day and representing families was a very powerful experience. People facing eviction feel that there's someone there to protect them. And that feeling of doing good and feeling good, you can't beat it. And I think for obvious reasons, is because of the experiences I had growing up and my family's experience with eviction. But it was, for me, an exhilarating experience to be up against what I call the bad guy. <laughs> you know, it was David versus Goliath, right? Before right to counsel, 98% of landlords had a lawyer. That still, that still remains to be true. But less than 10% of tenants had attorneys. 
that's changed. We're changing the game. And for me, it's, again, an experience is relatable, but one where we can make a real difference. That's helpful. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. I feel like it's just nice to have that, that context of, because I know a lot of people think about housing, but not everyone understands, like, what are some of those factors of what's impacting people leading up to eviction and, and, and that side of the story. So I appreciate that. Yeah. I, th- I think it's really one thing I find interesting is that, you know, you talk about that personal narrative that you have in the connection that drove you to to run for office and to be elected official. So can you kind of walk through the, what happens once you get there and you realize that, oh, this isn't the only issue that uh, that goes on in the community that I now represent. It's not just housing. There are so many other things. You know, how do you balance the that idea of like, I'm really passionate about this this particular piece, but I also have to think about all these other things. Now you have to think about more than just housing. Now you have to think about health and now you have to think about, we'll talk about rats and we have to talk about uh, this, you know, the environmental issues that are going on in the, in the uh, community. Housing is very much connected to environmental considerations and health considerations. One of the biggest reasons as well, why, why, why tenants don't pay their rent other than not being able to afford it. There's also a lot of people who don't pay rent because landlords aren't making repairs, because they have rat infestations. These are affirmative defenses that tenants have against their landlords as a justification as to why they're not paying their rent. Living in New York City, you understand that everything is is related to each other. And housing, environmental, health impacts are all related to each other. When you have mold in your apartment, when you have lead exposure, when you have asbestos abatement needed, you're realizing that families are subject to this because of the neglect of landlords, in many instances because of the neglect of our city. So when we talk about health and environmental concerns, we realize that this is a symptom, also rats, this is a symptom of other issues that stems from government and in many instances landlord neglect. Yeah, and I, I really appreciate that response because it's the intersectionality of environmental justice and everything else is kind of crazy. Like a lot of people don't realize that it touches so many different different aspects. And I like how you just laid out whether it be you know housing and what it uh, how it connects to health and how it connects to the environment. Uh, you've been a, a a pretty big champion for us uptown as for environmental uh, for environmental justice. So for you, like, what are some of the environmental issues that you've seen uh, within the district? Ever since I've been a kid, we, we know that rats is part of the, the New York City experience. Let me tell you one example. When my grandmother's couches were mauled by rats, when I, when, after my eviction, actually, we moved there, and her apartment was mauled by rats. The furniture was all bitten up, and she wanted the landlord to re- fully repay for new furniture. My grandmother showed a picture to the judge of her holding a dead rat by its tail. That sold it for the judge. My grandmother got her furniture fully repaid by the landlord. In my other grandmother's house, I remember when my uncle killed a brigade of 12 rats in the hallway with a wooden stick. It was the most savage experience ever. But let me tell you why This is happening. Rats are obviously a problem, but it's a symptom of other things. 
when landlords are not cleaning their buildings, when they're not making repairs or addressing violations issued by the city's HPD department or DOB, it invites rats. When the city does not invest in waste management infrastructure, it invites rats. And that's why I've been leading the charge in the city council to making sure that we have a government that works for the people. We are making sure that we are containerizing our trash. Can you believe that we had Oscar the Grouch type bins in the 1960s and trash wasn't on the streets? But after we passed a law that would require trash bags to be out on the street, we had rat sightings in New York City in only 10%. And now, today, rat sightings are anywhere between 80 and 90% in New York City from a geographic standpoint. We're going back to containerization because we know that it works. We have a pilot right now in Harlem where we have 10 residential blocks that are all piloted with, with containerization of trash. It changes the feel. It feels different. You walk down the street, it's a miracle to not see any bags on the street. We also have 14 schools in West Harlem, all schools in West Harlem, that are also getting trash containerization. This sanitation investment culminates in 5.7, the containerization project. But we also passed a law that would establish rat mitigation zones. And Harlem is one of them. From 110th to 155th in Upper Manhattan, on the west side and all the way to the east side, the city is investing more in rat trappings, in addressing the boroughs, in doing inspections of our buildings in a coordinated in a coordinated way, and that's culminated in a reduction of rat sightings by forty five percent in just a few months. We changed out the the set out times for trash as well, and that was through our legislation. What did this do? So before our bill passed, anyone can take out the trash outside at as early as four p.m the earliest set-out time by any other major city in the United States. What does that mean? We had rats feasting outside for 14 hours when the trash was outside. When our bill passed, trash does not sit on the street now for more than four hours on any given day. Because now, trash is put out at 8 p.m. if it's not containerized. And we also added more evening shifts for sanitation workers to collect that trash from 8 p.m. to 12 a.m. What would happen before this bill passed? You had trash sitting out at night on the streets while we were asleep. Rats were feasting. And we were snoring. And that's led to their explosive population growth. But these are some of the things that we're working on. I, I like hearing that story of, or like the list of some of that background about how, you know, at some point we did have, you know, these these metal bins, like you said, the Oscar, the Grouch style bins, which I find funny. I feel like there's so many examples like this in the city where at some point we end up moving backwards. Like we have something that's like sort of working and for some reason, like we end up for budget cuts or for other, you know, logistical reasons, the city decides, nope, we're going to just throw the trash on the street in the bags. And then somehow we figure out later on, like, why did we do that? That doesn't work. Like we need to get back to that containerization because we know that it works. We know that clearly it's it's preventing some of these rats from w- one of my favorite terms is the rat buffet, which is what we <laughs> refer to yeah. as trash, which totally makes sense. That's one of like honestly for me as someone who's not from New York City, that was one of the most fascinating and disturbing experiences when I first moved to New York. I was like, so 
like the trash is just on the street like that's what we're doing we're just throwing it here and like it's i don't know it took probably like the that first full year of me living here to be like oh like of course that's why there's so many rats like this is just legit a rat buffet it's just there i also loved your story uh you said it was your grandfather that like killed 12 rats in the hall like that's such a grandfather story like i'm just picturing my grandpa out there with like a wooden stick just going to town on these rats also a brigade of rats because these are not country cute mice that are just (laughs) out in the farmland these are city rats and those are a very different thing for people who don't know so these rats were in two closet doors and when you open up the doors on both sides you're able to create a demarcation and an, an enclosed area and that's how he was able to do it it was actually my uncle, mm-hmm. uncle. he was able to do it with a wooden stick mm-hmm. and again it just shows that this is some something that is, is symptomatic of just you know neglect whether it be government or whether it be from a landlord and there's so many cities around the world that have proven, you know, waste containerization and how the the various different ways that you can do it and how successful it can be. And it's like always when you live in somewhere, when you live in New York City, the course question was like, why, why can't we, why aren't we doing it? We're New York City. Like we should be doing it that way. Can you talk a little bit about uh, kind of like the what the next steps are going to be for the pilot program and like how are, are people going to have an opportunity to to talk about it or be a part of, you know, either the container design situation or anything like that? Yeah. There have been a lot of concerns in terms of the aesthetic of the containers, for instance. I agree that they can be better looking. I understand that the commissioner, Commissioner Tish of the Department of Sanitation, has new prototype designs of, of bins and also of trucks that are going to lift up these bins as well. I'm excited for it to go public and for her to issue RFPs on, on, the, on the bins as well as the trucks. But... You know, the goal is that we 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 are able to implement, at least my position is I, I support implementing it citywide. I think it's something that we, we, we need to do. I, I understand that there are, you know, concerns on, on both sides, but I think that making the sacrifice is necessary for the larger public good. We need modern waste management practices. We need to shut off the food supply for rats. And this is also just, it's just all around better. Like, people leaving to work in the mornings just bring the trash bags into these bins there's less work for supers there's less work for janitors and people take pride in their own homes and keeping their the neighborhoods clean so curious to see uh how we we take these next steps i know that we are containerizing our restaurants we're containerizing businesses right now the next step is containerizing buildings that are larger and you know, we're looking into legislation to make that happen. I feel like it's important to have that kind of larger vision of, you know, what is it going to look like f- for the whole city? Because at the end of the day, you know, rats got legs. They can move around. Like, you know, they can, they can migrate. But That's like. the thing is that they may be gone on these 10 blocks, but they're running somewhere else. <laughs> yeah. We know they're running somewhere else. They're very creative. Rats are very smart. Yeah. You know, we're at it. This is a real war. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I have kind of a question along those lines so obviously we have multiple different types of types of bins you know uptown as someone who lives in harlem i walk down the street i see those street side wire bins that are always knocked over or a little, i actually have noticed uh, on, on 125th recently for Newman, so walking around there that they've started to change out those bins so is there kind of a, a a plan that you know is kind of aligning these other kind of street side bins with this plan of, of containerization because i know that those bins for example just 
on the curbs. They don't, they don't have a lid. They're metal or metal, some metal the wire litter baskets. Yeah, exactly. But they don't have a lid. so. Like, is, is there a plan to kind of align that with this larger containerization strategy, or is that some, a conversation that that you've heard that's kind of going on? I'm not exactly sure. Yeah, but we do know that the containerization pilot that's happening in Harlem. We want that to be replicated. Yeah, and I mean, if you don't have a lid, then we have a problem. <laughs> That's for sure, because we know rats can jump, and they they look for holes. Yeah, they yeah. can turn into a swimming pool for, for rats. <laughs> Seeing rats jump is actually terrifying. It's like one of yes. <laughs> How high can they jump? And I've seen I've seen some pretty desperate rats <laughs> jump pretty high to get to, to to get to some things. Yeah, but it's definitely a it's a huge difference because you know at the We Act office we actually have a school right across the street that has in the street one of the streets has some of these bins there and it. It you is can see a, it, them right outside our window. They're actually right over here. It's, it's, <laughs> such, it's such a big difference. Like you said, in the morning or when you're walking through, it's it's crazy how some things just become part of your daily life. Like you just think that the trash bags should be there, and like you're dodging you're dodging the rats going back and forth. It's it's that game, or also just the fact of like the bus is coming up. And then there's, you you know, but they can't stop where they need to stop because someone's in the way. So, like, you have to, like, wade through garbage trying to get on and off. It's very, but then when you see a street that has none of that on it, you're like, oh, this is how it's supposed to be. This is what we're supposed to do. So, I think maybe they're, they're hopefully, you know, as more people experience and see that, it's like, it's like oh, yeah, this is, this is the right way. <laughs> and to that point, Lonnie, I mean, we, we often talk about how change is hard. Change happens overnight sometimes, and this is one example of that. On one day, people were putting their trash bags, taking it to the basement, where the super will then take it outside for the days that they would be collected. Now we have tenants, homeowners, walking outside of their homes, and they're taking the trash bags and putting them into these enclosed bins. We did that overnight. So sometimes change is hard, but sometimes change can be easy. And there's only one other thing I wanted to see if you want to touch on a little bit, because uh, it's a topic right now of discussion. Last year, our first episode of the year, we had uh, Nando Rodriguez from Brosis Soul coming here and talk about composting. And we talk about the buffet for rats, so it's not just the trash, but can you talk a little bit about how uh, composting and, and food waste diversion also helps, uh, how complements waste containerization to mitigate the rat problem? You know, composting... It, it diverts food supply away from from rats, and we know the impact it has on on soil beds and and the impact on making the environment greener. And again, this is very important. But I'm concerned about the rollout of composting citywide as well. I mean, already we know Manhattan is going to get the installation in the fall of 24. But with these cuts, is that going to be a reality? I mean, I I'm not exactly confident of that. So let's let's keep the fight. Yeah, I'm. I'm glad that you mentioned that. Something I was sort of alluding to earlier when I mentioned the budget cuts. It's the first thing that came to mind. Just when things like community composting gets like, we, it's something we know that that works. It's, as someone who, for the last year or so, while I've been waiting for curbside composting to come to my area, I've been going to my Grow NYC drop off site every week, dropping off my compost. And like you said, there's uh, there's some ownership over contributing to a solution that you know is 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 improving your community. And also for those sites specifically, I know that. All that food waste is getting turned into actual compost, which is fantastic and hopefully being used in, in, in the community. But, you know, outside of that piece, outside of like the budget piece of this whole conversation, both about composting and about uh, waste containerization, containerization, contain, that's such a hard word to say, <laughs> containerization, <okay>? yes. <laughs> um, what are some of the other, I guess, barriers that you see in, in trying to move this work forward and trying to 
move towards this kind of citywide vision for, for waste containerization? Uh, is, is it really just a, a budget issue, or do you see other challenges that, that might come up? I mean, forward? the obvious is there are folks who are, feel very much entitled to uh, parking spots. I think that's one of the one of the big hurdles we we face, uh, especially in in the outer boroughs, right? Where the only way to, to to travel and get around the city is through is through a car, right? Like if you're in Southeast Queens or you know parts of Brooklyn that are hard to access via public transportation, I mean that becomes a a, a real hurdle. Uh, but what I've explained to constituents in this neighborhood is. You don't want rats nesting in your cars either. You don't want rats eating your cables. I mean, these I've had drivers themselves come up to me and say, "Yeah, man, I had I know about this this rat that was nesting on on XYZ corner and it's a problem." But even if we can't get drivers on board, the way that I see it is we have to make a small sacrifice for the greater good. And Knowing that I'm doing this for the greater good allows me to sleep at night, even in the face of some opposition. Absolutely. And it all kind of comes back to also this how interconnected everything is, because you just mentioned people might not have the right access to public transportation. They may not have the buses move as quickly. There's not, you know, the same kind of thing like in our boroughs. It's kind of just like a another layer of like, this is something else that we can also need to tackle because it kind of illuminates other issues that go on, you know, with the, just in the citywide. And so I, I think that is the the challenge and why people elect folks like like uh, Councilmember Brayu to kind of think holistically and intersectionally. Yes. Yeah, so maybe if we improved the public transit in the outer boroughs, maybe they wouldn't be so upset about having curbside uh, bins, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Win-win. Win-win-win-win. And you everyone. don't always get everyone's support. Yeah. Even if that were the case. I mean, it's just the matter of, it's the matter of life. Can't win. Can't win everyone. Yes. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. We appreciate it. We hope that all of our listeners enjoy this little conversation about rats. And thank you to those who suggested it as a topic idea. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Really excited to be working with We Act on a host of these issues. We are taking on the rat population. We're taking on the reduction of waste. So I want to thank, thank you both for having me today, and the fight continues. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks for listening. We know there was a lot more to say about rats here in New York City, so make sure you check out some of our resources in the show notes to learn more. And if you know someone who wants to learn more about rat contraceptives or the war on rats, uh, share this episode. If you like this episode, make sure to rate and review the show on whatever platform you listen on. If you have thoughts about the show, we encourage you to reach out to us directly with your thoughts and suggestions at podcast at weact.org. You can also check out We Act on Facebook at We Act for EJ. That's W-E-A-C-T-F-O-R-E-J. And also on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at We Act for EJ. That's W-E-A-C-T number four, EJ. And check out our website, weact.org, for more information about environmental justice. All right, folks. Thanks for listening. And until next time, prepare for battle. Winter is coming. <laughs>